Ohio Habla es un podcast que nace del proyecto Narrativas Orales de Latinos en Ohio, Oral Narratives of Latinos en Ohio. Exploramos la experiencia latina con entrevistas en español, inglés y spanglish. Welcome to Ohio Habla. I am Elena Fallis, and in today's podcast, I will be talking with Mary Rodriguez, Assistant Professor in Community Leadership for the College of Agriculture and Food Science here at OSU. Dr. Rodriguez is the daughter of immigrant parents. Her mother is from Colombia and her father from Nicaragua. She is a first-generation immigrant and the eldest of four kids. She's also at Tejana from Houston, Texas. Mary loved riding horses and went to Texas A&M College Station, hoping to work at an equine breeding facility. However, her interest shifted and she became an agricultural high school teacher. Later, she received her master's in agriculture education from the University of Florida, Florida and after graduation joined the Peace Corps. Dr. Rodriguez received her PhD also from the University of Florida in International Agriculture Extension with an emphasis in food security, gender, and community leadership development. She is passionate about working with women and helping them maintain their agency as they work to establish patterns and behaviors that can potentially lead to food security for them and their families. Mary, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. How did you first get involved with agriculture? So being from Houston, Texas, there mm -hmm. wasn't a lot of agriculture around me. Mm -hmm. um, and so I actually, my first exposure to agriculture in the sense of agriculture was in college. Um, but my love of food and of animals really started really young. It was something that I was always really passionate about. Um, I would always ask where my food came from and was really curious and asked lots of questions. And um, we didn't visit any farms, uh, my family and I, but I always um, looked up on, you know, in the encyclopedias and <laughs> National Geographics and just was always really, really curious about agriculture. Great. Uh, what was it like to teach agriculture in high school? It was new for me. Um, I went to an all-girl private high school, and so um, in the middle of Houston, in the city, and so agriculture was not a subject that you can take in high school. And um, when I was at Texas A&M in one of our seminar classes, someone came and spoke to us and said, hey, I don't know if you knew this, but you can teach agriculture in high school. And I mm -hmm. thought, oh, my gosh, I love to teach. That would be so neat. Um, so when I changed my major and, and started to teach in high school, in the high school setting, I found that I absolutely loved it. Mm -hmm. It was incredible. High school students are a unique group of people. Um, they are just finding out who they are and trying to survive in a world that can be really difficult. But I felt like the, the students that took the classes that I was teaching in agriculture, um, they were always really passionate about what they wanted to do and what differences they wanted to make in agriculture, teaching people about food um, and the different projects that were that they were undertaking during that time. So I really loved it. There were challenges <laughs> um, being 22 years old and 5'3 in a classroom of um, <laughs> a lot of males mm -hmm. um, that, you know, I wasn't much older than the the seniors was always a challenge but I absolutely loved the material and I loved the subject and the students were great was this in college station or no so this was in Houston this in was Houston. outside of Houston um, in an area called um, called Katy and I taught there for a little while and then ended up getting an opportunity for my master's so I actually left pretty soon thereafter okay 
what is community development and what was your focus of studying during your master's program? Sure. So um, the way I would define community development is people coming together as a group within their community to solve big issues. And so um, when I was doing my master's degree, it wasn't that actually wasn't my focus. My focus was um, looking at how we can bring international experiences into the high school agricultural education classroom. Mm -hmm. And so I was really passionate about um, making sure that my students knew what was happening around the world and how could I bring those experiences into the classroom. So my focus was looking at a study abroad experiences and those types of um experiential learning activities that we could bring into the classroom and get some um, knowledge there at the high school level. And um, while I was at Earth University uh, doing some thesis research, that's when I ran into community development. And that's when I started to, um, to learn a little bit more and saying, oh my gosh, this is actually incredible. And as much as I love teaching, as much as I love high school students, um, working with communities and, and helping them work through change is, is really what I wanted to do. So that was actually my first experience uh, with community development was during my master's. Great. Yeah. Um, tell me about your experience with the Peace Corps. Sure. Mm -hmm. um, wow. That It's probably the most defining, one of the most defining moments of my life. Um, the Peace Corps is a 27-month commitment. And mm -hmm. so when you know you say, oh, I'm going to go abroad for two years, it's it's intense. Um, I remember applying and saying, oh, yeah, they're definitely going to send me to Latin America because I'm fluent in Spanish. Mm -hmm. And then I ended up in assigned to Francophone Western Sub-Saharan Africa. And I wow. thought, wow, okay, <laughs> all right, Africa, here we come. Um, so I actually served in, in Cameroon for those 20, 27 months. I was just shy of 27 months. I didn't stay the full 27 at the end. But um, I lived in northern Cameroon. That was predominantly a Muslim um, community, and uh, I worked. I worked as an agroforestry volunteer, which means I just I worked on different levels. My calling was to work with farmers to help them learn about um, certain practices to reduce desertification. So, using cover crops and mm -hmm. engaging in different agricultural practices that would help to maintain the soils, and so that and, and planting trees that would help regenerate the nutrition in the soil. And so that was what I was called to do. Mm -hmm. um, but in reality, what I ended up doing was working with women's groups. I developed mm -hmm. a, uh, a program to train women. Um, and um, a lot of women's groups were trying to come together and they, were, uh, they weren't very successful in doing community plots or making changes for their household. And so I developed a leadership program for them. Mm. So I trained about, um, I think it was about 15 different groups of women and the groups range anywhere from 7 to 15, 17 women in a group. And um, I did activities with them to teach them about the importance of leadership, the importance of communication, the importance of group work, and how mm -hmm. to actually work with groups or within groups rather so that they could be successful long term. Um, and of course, during those things, I also did trainings in nutrition and trainings in certain agricultural practices that the women had control over um, there in their homes. And so that's that's actually what I did. It was it was incredible. It was hot. It was <laughs> um, it was a bit stressful at times. And um, how was it working uh, with women in a Muslim uh, region and and the and, and also what age uh, groups did you work with? Sure. Yeah. yeah. 
Um, I primarily worked with women who had families, and so that age actually, you know, that age range varied quite a bit. Mm -hmm. Um, I would say that probably the youngest woman in one of my groups was about 14 or 15 years old, but she already was a part of a family. Mm -hmm. Uh, She was a mother in a family. Um, And then we had women, you know, up well into their 50s and 60s that were a part of the women's groups. It was a challenge to learn at first how to do it. Um, how to work with women in these communities that were much more conservative as you know in 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 the views of how women could engage with other folks mm-hmm. and so I think one of the best lessons I learned was how to use um, how to engage men as partners in the development of their families um, and so when I would go and I would sit with the man of the house I would say you know hey you know, I, I'm here. I, you know, I'm not bringing any Western ideas into your mm-hmm. home. I'm actually just really helping um, to um, strengthen them as a group. And so um, I was very clear and transparent in what I was doing, and, and I didn't have any issues. And um, I had a great um, supporter in the traditional chief's wife. He mm-hmm. was the traditional chief of many villages, and he had his home in our in our small community, and um, she was a huge proponent of women's empowerment, and she was phenomenal, and mm. she was, you know, his number one wife, um, and so she, for me, was was not only a, a mentor and a role model, but um, she was also one of my biggest advocates and telling people like, hey, you know, you should you should engage with Mary. She's she's all right, you know. She's mm-hmm. not she's not uh, going against what we believe. She's actually very cognizant of where we come from and and um and so it it made it really incredible to work with women i also found that um one of my favorite activities was to go into um, a woman's home and just sit with them and even though there were language barriers Mm -hmm. i learned french while i was there and then my community spoke for full day which is a completely different african Mm -hmm. language and um, i had to learn some of that but just enough to be conversational and say the pleasantries and greetings Mm -hmm. and that kind of thing Mm -hmm. Um, so you worked with an interpreter then? Most of the time, mm-hmm. yeah. But I mean, my favorite experiences was going into the house and just sitting there and watching them uh, do everything that they did, which is absolutely incredible. Mm-hmm. Women are so, so, so busy. Um, and just engaging with their families, playing with their children and not having anything in common, but learning so much from them in that time. That was mm-hmm. my probably my favorite thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Excellent. What a, what a wonderful experience. It was great. Can you tell me about your research on the role of women in household food security locally and and internationally? Sure. Um, This definitely stemmed from my time in Cameroon. Mm -hmm. Um, I saw families struggling during the rainy season um, when they didn't have enough to feed their families. And I thought, man, this is... um, this is something I've never seen before. And so when I came back, I decided to do a PhD and focus on food security, focus on understanding more about women and their roles in the household in terms of food. And so here in at Ohio State, I work, um, I have been working a lot with um, with Somali refugees and in particular, just working with one particular community, learning about them, learning about their culture, learning about um, how they eat, what choices they make and and the food, um, and then trying to see how we can strengthen uh, their food security by um, 
actually enhancing their social capital. So how do we build relationships, not just amongst the women, but bring external resources to these communities, to these groups of women, so that then they can have access to different resources that they didn't have before. And hopefully, you know, the thought is, is if we start to do that, then they will have access to, um, knowledge about nutrition that they didn't have before. They will Mm -hmm. have um, perhaps learn about different places to get the foods that they need, different ways to cook the foods that they are cooking at home. Um, And so that's what I've been doing here locally and um, just exploring that in the role of um, even just the folks that are working with new migrant populations, um, all the way to the caseworkers at the, you know, at the refugee services and Mm -hmm. what role they have in helping uh, folks as they come in understand what food security is and and how to make sure that they've got what they need and then internationally it's a little bit different what i do um i really focus on people's understanding people's behaviors um in the household and so because women are the ones that make the decisions in the household about food um they are the ones that I work with and study the most. Mm -hmm. And so understanding how the social system and how people's community impacts the choices that they make in the household is really what I start to look at. And then seeing why are some families or why are some farmers or agriculturalists um, using new technologies that actually help production, increase production, and why some aren't. Mm -hmm. And so I study a few different levels there at the household, um, but always keeping into consideration, you know, what is the women's role and how can we kind of um, make sure that we are cognizant of the women's role but make sure we're not using her as a tool for the betterment of her family mm-hmm. um, which mm-hmm. I think is really important so is there a particular um, international community that you look at um, Sub-Saharan Africa has mm-hmm. my heart. Mm-hmm. Um, I have been working in this area for, for quite a few years now. At the moment, a lot of my work has been in Tanzania, but um, I I would love to get back to the Middle East. That's another area that really, really has captured my heart. So, okay. yeah. Great. Um, why are women most affected by food insecurity? Why the focus on women? So women are definitely more insecure in the household. Um, When we look at um, developing nations or when we look at families in low-income households, we see that women face a lot of challenges, not just at the household level, but also at the personal level. And they are in a tremendously unique position in the household. Um, They give very important contributions to food production and preparation in the household. And then their role in society as childbearers and as caregivers also makes them um, Um, uniquely challenged to meet their needs. Um, In addition, these roles, along with this increased poverty, that can also lead to low dietary diversity and potentially having to take on um, different coping mechanisms to meet the food needs of the family make them more at risk to be uh, more food insecure. The reason that I focus on women in particular is because they are truly the ones that are making um, the decisions at the household level for what kind of food is being eaten, but they don't have access to the resources. They don't have access to a lot of the decision-making that goes into buying these different foods, buy, you know, um, the different approaches that they that they need to take to meet the needs of their families and so they are not just important for the household but then 
they're also spending expending their energy and expending their resources um, for others before themselves. Um, they face a lot of challenges, um, especially in developing nations with limited access to land, to markets, to agricultural extension services um, that can give them the information that they need to um, increase their production. And all of these limit their potential um their potential to lead these food secure houses. And so when we um, look even then um, at female headed houses, we start to see that they are even more so likely to be food insecure. So these, these, um, this population is, is tremendously of interest to me. It's, it's something that I have been um, trying to look at and and explore um, in particular, because I see that when we look at a household and we look at trying to increase food security for everybody um, in that household, we often look at the woman as a tool, um, you know, as a, as a means to an end for the greater good of the family. And we don't often consider her and make sure that she is protected and make sure that she um, gets the support that she needs um, while we are looking at the benefit of the household. So that to me is a great reason to definitely be focusing on women and um, trying to mitigate some of these challenges that they have in food security and leading these food secure households. So, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. How do you reach students and teach them to be leaders of change in their own communities? I hope I'm reaching students. Um, so I teach, uh, I teach a few leadership classes. I teach a few courses here at the university. Um, and every time I talk to the students, I try and tell them and get them passionate about something, mm-hmm. um, whatever it is that they are passionate about, and show them, listen, you can make a difference in this community, um, whether it's a community of place, a community of people, a community of interest. Um, I try and get students to think about the changes that they want to see happen and how they can actually engage in those changes. And so one of the things that I do in my big leadership class is they learn a lot about themselves. Mm -hmm. They learn about who they are as an individual and as a leader. And hopefully that then helps them see how to work with other, other folks to help make those changes happen. So, Mm -hmm. um, I think that students are a wonderful population to work with. They have such passion and such energy to make a difference in the world in their in their areas of interest or whatever the case might be in their communities back home. So they are definitely uh, a way to kind of expand my impact is by getting them passionate. Mm-hmm. But whether or not I'm if that's working, I don't know yet. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure it is. I'm sure. Um, how does your own journey through higher education help you reach students? You have a unique perspective, and how do you feel? Um, uh, what do you feel you have to offer as a Latina specifically? Yeah. Um, so my journey is is I think um, a little unique, and it, it doesn't. It allows me the opportunity to connect with students in a way that perhaps other uh, faculty may not. Um, I had to work through college. You know, I was a full-time student, full-time worker. Um, I um, was the first one to go to college, so a first-generation American, but as well the first generation to go to college out of both of the sides of my family and then extended family as mm-hmm. well. There weren't many that went to college at the time. And so having that as a background, you know, I had to learn a lot about the college system by myself. And so I think that Knowing that, I come to students with a, okay, let's figure this out together attitude. Um, 
I feel that I'm really able to kind of connect with them in a different way. Um, and then in particular, being a Latina woman for me is unique because, you know, I can tell them about things like having to learn English at school mm -hmm. and speaking Spanish at, in home, you know, at the home and then um, trying to find my identity as a, as a Latina woman but also as an American mm -hmm. and as an academic and as a student and you know in the different type in the different times in life I've had to really reassess who I was and so I think I bring that um, that perspective to students in a way and and I share I don't share a lot uh, with <laughs> my students all the time especially in the big classes but um, what I do share I'm very purposeful and making sure mm -hmm. that they can that it's always connecting to them that it's always about them but making it so that they can see they're not the only ones that are going through some of the challenges mm -hmm. um, And just having that, I think, in particular, saying, hey, I'm a part of your community. I'm here to support you, um, as has been my case with my family is, you know, Hispanic families. They love you and they feed you and they take care of you. And <laughs> that's really something else I try and bring to my students as well. Great. <clears throat> What projects are you currently working on? Um, so at the moment, I am wrapping up some of the work with Somali refugees here in Columbus. I am shifting gears a little bit and starting to look at new immigration, um, new immigrants as a bigger group of people um, and exploring a little bit about how um, their integration into the Columbus community has happened and how um, strong their communities have become and how those things happen. Um, so that's here in Columbus. And then abroad, I'm starting to explore a little bit more of um, how interventions are, how interventions impact um, mm -hmm. certain communities and what are some of those consequences that we um, want to try and mitigate before they happen. And in particular, it just so happens that life has brought me some amazing partners and mm -hmm. um, they are working on water uh a few water projects. Mm. And so um, I am engaging with them to see what are some of the consequences or what are some of the changes that we need to be prepared for when we bring water to a community and mm -hmm. what is that going to look like in particular, again, for women in the household as they're the ones that bring water into the house, they go and fetch it and come back. And so what are um, changes in time you know, time spent going to look like for mm -hmm. women? What expectations do men and women have for that extra time? Um, what challenges may come up because of these changes in time and, and um, effort. So those are the two main lines, areas of research um, abroad internationally with that. But then another area that I just, there's so much that I <laughs> want to study and so many things that I'm interested in. Um, but the, the last thing I'm really looking at is minorities in agriculture. Mm. How um, can we better serve the minorities in agriculture, LGBTQ populations, mm -hmm. women in agriculture and, and Latinos in agriculture. Um, and especially I want to study what are some barriers and challenges and opportunities that they're having mm -hmm. and then help translate that into the folks that are doing the outreach to so like the extension folks and how can we better serve these populations as they um, as they develop their agricultural endeavors mm -hmm. great um, is there anything else you would like to um, add to this podcast uh, are, are you leading um, any initiatives and you mentioned a couple of things that you're working on 
Um, is there anything specific about your department that you're uh, leading currently? Sure. Um, in particular, one of the things about our department that we're very unique is I say we're the people people of agriculture. <laughs> you know, we're the agricultural communication, education, education, and leadership. It's the longest name, but that's our department. <laughs> and we're all really focused on the development of human beings, <laughs> um, in particular in the context of agriculture. And so one of the things that I, I would love people to know is, hey, we're out there and, you know, involve us when you guys are doing these agricultural projects because we can help you, um, you know, you take care of the technologies and let us help you learn more about the people that are going to use those technologies. And so um, I'm trying to advocate for uh, the work that we do a little bit more in the College of Agriculture and around the university. Um, so that might be a little plug for, <laughs> hey, come talk to me if you find any of this interesting. Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> um, and then your work with um, uh, the mi uh, minority groups and agriculture and um, uh, there's also, uh, I'm sure, um, you know, or if not, um, that's some, an area that you uh, might want to look into is um, the uh, the food banks around um, uh, Columbus uh, or Ohio in general. And uh, here in Columbus, we have one in particular that um, service um, that serves the Latino community. So uh, maybe that's a, a future collaboration as well. Yeah, that's great to know. Thank mm -hmm. you very much. Yes, great. Uh, well, thank you for the work you do, Mary. It's been a pleasure having you in the studio. Uh, a todos, gracias por escucharnos y recuerden seguirnos en Facebook y de compartir este podcast con otros. Hasta la próxima. Mm -hmm.